this is such a privilege, and I'm so thankful just to um, be up here and be able to just encourage you guys with what the Lord has been teaching me, and I just want to share that with you guys, and I definitely, first and foremost, um, want to thank Dr. Halstead and just the Bible department for just this opportunity, and I also want to thank my family for being here to support, and um, also, too, I also want to thank my RD, Daniel Schaefer, for just the encouragement you've given me throughout this week in preparation, so thank you so much for that, too. So I'm happy to be here and, and encouraged to just um, open up God's Word and share just what he has said. So with that being said, would you please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? We'll be looking at verses 18 to 31. So 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 31. We'll read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll move on from there. So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever, and I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that they may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we come before you. As a student body, Lord, we come before your throne of grace, and we first and foremost thank you for your son, that he lived a perfect life, died on our behalf, and rose on the third day for, this, for the salvation and forgiveness of our sins, Lord. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We're sinners by nature, and we thank you that we can now call ourselves righteous because we've been clothed, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we talk about the power of the cross in comparing to man's wisdom and what the world thinks of the cross, I pray that all of us here together would have confidence and that we would boast in the Lord and not of ourselves, and we would have confidence in the gospel and the power that it has for salvation, Lord. We thank you for who you are, for your sovereignty, for your grace. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be clear and that you would speak and that I wouldn't be in the way of that. And we pray all these things, and for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise, in Jesus' name, amen. So my first question is, what comes to your mind when you think of the Corinthian church? I know for me, horrible things. Sad, it was a horrible church, and very sad, with just so many things 
going on. You have division, sexual immorality, and at the root of all these problems, the problem is their lack of conviction of holiness. As you read the context of the Corinthian church and just what they've been going through, they lack holiness from God, and they require, and what they desired was to boast in themselves. To give a little background on this letter, Paul wrote it around eighty fifty-five from the city of Ephesus. He spent 18 months in Corinth establishing this church, and from there he met Priscilla and Aquila, who they worked as tent makers together. One thing to recognize about the idea of wisdom and what we're going to be talking about is that in the Hellenistic culture religion during this time and in this era of the Corinthian church, they truly emphasized wisdom. They wanted knowledge, and they wanted knowledge for the sake of boasting in themselves and for their prideful hearts. In the context of this passage, as you read the first um, verses to 1 to 17, you see that there's division over Christian preachers. You see, you see people say, I am of Apollo, I am of Paul, I am of Christ. And there's this, this problem was reported to Paul, and Paul was saying, this is the answer that I'm going to give to you guys for this division, and it's God's wisdom that answers the problem. So I want to prove to you guys, I want to show you and encourage you to not follow what the world thinks is wise, but be confident in the wisdom of God and the saving power of the gospel, that our boasting is in Christ, because he gives us wisdom, he gives us our righteousness, he gives us redemption through the cross. So I want to show you guys that this morning and encourage you all with this. So I have two main points, and the first point I want to give is man's wisdom or God's cross. And what you choose between those, because God's cross is truly God's wisdom, out of what you choose between those two, you're, it's going to flow out and bring out what you boast in. If you rely on man's wisdom and what the world tells you, out of that you're going to be boasting in yourself, boasting how much you know, and it's, you're going to want the glory. But if you choose to have confidence in the cross of Christ, and you have confidence to know that this is wisdom from God, out of that will flow boasting, or what we would call more today bragging, in the Lord, and not because there's nothing that we can bring to the table. He saved us through the cross and through his resurrection, and when we look at our salvation, there is nothing else that we can bring, and out of that will flow glory and honor and praise to God. So the context of this, starting in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Paul knew that the cross has power, and that's the first emphasis we're gonna be looking at. So as we talk about the cross, the cross does two things. The cross divides the human race, and the cross outsmarts human wisdom and subdues human strength. So those are the two things that the cross does, and we're first going to look at how the cross divides the human race. So the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the word of the cross, talking about the gospel here, the word foolishness, it literally means dull, or you're a moron for believing in this gospel. And why is that? Why does the gospel, why is it foolishness to those who are perishing? When you go evangelizing, do you ever recognize that? The, the immediate response is why? Why is when we preach this gospel, it's foolishness? Well, the answer is, if you look at chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. It is natural for people 
to look at the cross, look at the gospel, and say, that is foolish. It's foolish. How can you believe that Christ, this Jewish Messiah, died on our behalf for salvation? That is foolish. The world looks at that and say, no, that is so, you are a moron for believing that. That's the natural response. And the unnatural response is to accept the gospel. That's unnatural for us. I know it's so normal here in the community, it's more unnatural to be an unbeliever here as we're surrounded in this Christian school, but in the world, in the reality of the world, when you go out and you work and you establish and you graduate from here, naturally, the world is gonna look at what you believe in and say you are a moron for believing that. And why is that? Why is it natural? Well, you guys know, Romans 3.10, no one is good, no one is righteous. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, you are dead in your sins. By nature, we are children of wrath. By nature, we look at God and we sin against him and we don't want anything to do with his glory. By nature, that's who we are. That's why people look at it as foolishness. I remember when I was a freshman and I joined the Evangelism Society and we would all go out to uh, College of the Canyons and other places and we would share the gospel. And this was always the reaction. They would look at us like, why are you wasting your time out here sharing this, what you believe in? You know, they looked at us as foolish people. And it was kind of discouraging because we thought, you know, our minds, we're sharing the love of God. We're, sh we're sharing the grace of God and that we're sinners and you could be forgiven. But to them, they're just like, no, we don't want this. And I have to go back to this text saying, well, naturally, that's how I was. Naturally, that's how we all are. We look at the gospel and its foolishness, and it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that would cause us to unnaturally accept this gospel. I, I have extended family and friends and people that I know who look at me for coming here and say, I'm wasting my time and money for coming here. Why are you a Bible major at a Christian school? That's such a waste. You know, and people look, look at that, and my family, my extended family and friends that I know, they, they look at me like that, and I have to realize, you know, this is the natural heart. This is who I am, and I know you have that too. You all have family or friends or people that you know, and they, they look at you. Maybe they don't tell you to your face, but they look at you and say, you're a fool for being a Christian, and that's what the cross does. It divides the human race. You know, as I was studying this, you see, in the ancient world, People were either Roman, barbarian, Jew, Greek, male, female. So society was anything but equal, right? And even in today, the society is anything but equal, the way we look at the rich or the poor. But the reality is that the cross renders all these divisions. It takes all these divisions and tears them down. And from God's eyes, eternally, what matters is those who are perishing and those who are being saved. That's what truly matters eternally. So when we go out and we share Christ with people, you understand that the reality of how the world looks at, this is what's good, this is what's bad, this is the culture, this is, you know, who's rich, poor. The way God looks at it, we should be looking at it too, is that it's either those who are perishing or those who are being saved. And that's what the cross does, it divides us, even in our families, our friends. And for us who are being saved, those who truly know the gospel, it's, it has power. Perishing, it literally means, you know, a temporal reference in the process of perishing rather than those who will perish ultimately. But for those who are being saved, God, uh, Paul chooses this present test, this tense that can affirm that God is working and delivering the Corinthian church from their sin. The cross was a shocking image in the ancient world. There's rejection, shame, 
a Roman death that people were ashamed when they looked at those who were on the cross. It was a shameful death. But do you ever wonder what makes the cross the power of God? Think about that. The cross has power. How does it have power? Three things. Number one, the cross defeats evil. Number two, it makes God known. That's what the cross does. There's only one way to salvation. It's through Christ and what he's done on the cross. We don't offer anything. If you want to know God, if you want to truly know God, you go to the cross of Christ because that's our mediator between the Father and us is through what Christ has done, and today he is our great high priest. And the third thing, it saves those who believe. We are now forgiven through the cross of Christ. That's the power. And the key to understand this is that he is able to deliver on his promises. And what is his promise? It's the gospel. This gospel has power, and people are either going to reject it or accept it. And you guys know that when they accept it, it's all the Holy Spirit working. It's a natural response not to accept it. Moving forward to verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Paul is most likely citing Isaiah 29, 14, talking about God's judgment to Israel, but pointing it back to the Corinthian church. But then he goes on and he's, he asks four questions. Where is the wise man? A wise man that has worldly wisdom and human philosophy. Where is the scribe? The scribe is the Pharisee or those writing or knows the law. Where is the debater of this age, the clever philosopher? And this age is contrast to the next age, the age to come where God's final redemption will take place. And Paul isn't attacking reason here. He's not against reason, but he wants his readers to be reminded that it's not your philosophical knowledge, it's not what you know about the facts that's going to save people, it's the preaching of the gospel. So these three groups, these questions that he asks, there are these fields of learning, but the temptation of it is it leads down to pride. When you have philosophical knowledge or you have you know, this worldly wisdom or this doctorate in something, you tend to look down on others saying, well, he doesn't know more than me. I, I can look down on him because I'm smarter than him. And this reminds me what um, Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed to, inf- to them to infants. Yes, Father, this was well-pleasing in your sight. So to that fourth question, has not God made the foolish wisdom of the, of the world? The answer is yes. God has indeed made the wisdom of the world foolish. And how did he do that? Did it through the cross, through the power. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of, those, of the message preached to those who would believe. Here's a quote from the New Testament uh, pillar commentary. The author writes, In the cross, God puts both Jew and Greek, wise and foolish, trained and untrained, on the same level, canceling out all human enlightenment on the subject of salvation. That's what the cross does. God looks at us as people, those who are made in the image of God, and he says the, the reality is that it's either you're perishing or you're being saved, and it's how you react to this gospel, that the world says you're a fool for believing that. And it's interesting to look at how God was well-pleased through this. And God was well-pleased with his son throughout the New Testament. You see, God was well-pleased at uh, the son's baptism. God was well-pleased to reveal the son to Paul so that he might preach to the Gentiles, Galatians 1. 
God was well pleased to predestine the elect for the adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 5. And here in verse 21 in 1 Corinthians, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So look, you don't know God through the wisdom of the world, but you know God through the preaching of his word. You guys ever wonder why this was the way God established his message, that the world would look at it as foolish? He could have, you know, we could have think of other ways, that the world would look at God and say, oh, this is well-pleasing, I want to accept him. But no, he purposely made the gospel this way for his son to die so we could be forgiven, and he pleases, he's pleased with the way that the world reacts. They look at it as foolish, well, guess what? God is going to make them the ones who are fools in the end. So the second thing that the cross does, the cross outsmarts human wisdom and subdues human strength. So as we move forward, verse 22, for indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. Jews and Gentiles, they want something. They both, that's how they're alike. They want something, right? But what is Paul's answer? We're going to preach Christ crucified. Is that really going to go well for them? Not at all. And I want to sh- show you why this was a stumbling block. First to the Jews. This was their character. Their character was they always wanted signs. Give us supernatural evidence. Tell us, show us with our eyes so we can believe. And Jesus' response in Matthew 12 was, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to them but the sign of Jonah the prophet. So why was it a stumbling block for the Jews? Think about it. They anticipated the Messiah to come with power, that they they would reign, that he would exalt the nation of Israel, and that they would take the Jews away from the Roman government. This is how they wanted the, the Messiah to come. But how did the Messiah come? The Messiah came, he was humbled, and he died on a cross, which was a shameful death. And think about this question. How can God's anointed be cursed? Because that's exactly what the Jews thought of. When they saw that the Messiah was cursed on the cross, their minds go to Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy says, cursed is those who hangs on a tree. And, and Paul confirms that in Galatians 3.13, that Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, became a curse for us so that we might be forgiven. That's stumbling to the Jews. The Jews cannot wrap their minds around that God's anointed, the one that they were looking forward to, would die on a tree. That stumbles them. It was a stumbling block and a rock of offense. Romans 9.33, 1 Peter 2.8. It offended them. But what about the Gentiles? The Gentiles always wanted rational evidence. You know, I think of Acts 17, where Paul's preaching on Mars Hill. And he's going on, you know, teaching about God. This is who God is. And they're listening. The Gentiles are listening. And then as soon as he gets to the resurrection, it says in verse 30, 32 of Acts 17, they sneered. They literally laughed at that, that idea once Paul got to the core of the gospel, which is the resurrection. But it's interesting that the verse also says, but some stayed and they wanted to hear. Some took that message, the Gentiles, like, Paul, t- teach us more about this resurrection. We want to know. But the natural response to the Gentiles is, this is foolishness. This is not rational. There's nothing more absurd than the blood of a cross to remove sin and secure salvation. And not only that, but that this doctrine would convert the world. That's how the Gentiles looked at it. And in the end, 
Paul says we preach Christ crucified, regardless of how they react. This gospel demanded neither class. Neither class it demanded. The gospel is for everyone without distinction. Romans 1.16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it has what? Power, right? It has power to those who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There's no distinction with the gospel. And we are not to be ashamed of it because it has power. And only through the power of preaching the cross that people might come to salvation. It's not going to be your speech. It's not going to be your evidence of persuasive words and philosophy. It's going to be, in the end, the resurrection, the cross of Christ. God's wisdom and power is not abstract forces, but it's personal qualities that manifest themselves in the full life, death, resurrection of Christ. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men, it's foolish, natural. The natural man looks at the cross and it's foolish, and it's only through the power that people will come to know. And the root of the division of the Corinthian church we go back to the context, is always going to be human pride. And same with us today. Our pride is going to stumble us to get in the way of accepting this truth. Because when we graduate here, and we go off to jobs, graduate school, wherever it may be, we have to understand that people are going to look at us and say, you're a fool. You're a moron for, belie- for being a Christian, especially in what's going on today. It's just getting worse and worse in America accepting the gospel. And how are we going to react? Are we going to have confidence? Or are we going to be tempted and say with them, yeah, you know, you're right, this is foolish, and then follow what they believe because we don't want to be called a fool. We want to be wise in our own sight. We want the glory. So verse, the first 18 to 25 considers those who reject the message of the cross. Now I want to turn to those who will accept it. Point number two, man's weakness or God's strength or versus God's strength. So now we're turning to the focus of those who will accept this gospel. And here Paul goes into the deep root of the Corinthian social status. Look what he says in verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, for consider who you are, who you were, according to the world, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Paul is really getting to the root of who they are. They're not noble in the world's eyes. They're not strong. They're not wise. And the world will look at, it, look at us like that too, right? They're going to think, oh, you're a Christian? You must be weak. You must be noble or not noble. You know, you are, you are this, this is who you are. And Paul is really getting to the heart of who they are. But then he says, you know, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame those who think they are wise. So after Paul urges the Corinthians to, hey, reflect on who you are as humans, because the gospel is not impressive to the world's standards, And the Corinthian church as people didn't impress Corinth either. Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base the things of the world and despise God has chosen, the things that are, things are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. The Corinthian church is God's people not because of who they are, but because of what Christ has done. And same for you, all of us, and for me, as I look at my own life and as I look at your life, you are not who you are because of what you've done, and you are not a child of God because of what you've done. You are God's chosen people all because of the work of Christ. There is nothing you did that could earn your salvation. No works, no confession, 
all goes to Christ. You, you ask him for forgiveness, and he saves you. So recognize that, that God chose you for a specific purpose, that you would be his. And what does that do? It flips the values of the world. The cross turns the value of the world upside down and puts the, the ones who think they're wise, they think they're strong, and shames them. And what's the reason? Why, why does God do this? Why does God shame the wise and chose the weak things of, of the world to glorify him? Well, the answer is in verse 29. So that no man may boast before God. Are you concerned with the glory of God as you live your life? Are you concerned with the idea as you live your life that your focus, your heart, is to please people and not please God? Because God chose you for a specific purpose. Are you using your salvation now to show others how much knowledge you know or how great you are? It's something to think about because that's why God chose you. Because in the end, it's not going to be about you. It's all for God's glory. For everlasting from everlasting, he is God. He is the one true living God, and he is the only one that deserves worship. So how do you respond now that you're a Christian? Do you take it and run with it and say, look at me, look what all I know, I have the truth? Or are you concerned with God's glory in every day that you live your life? And there's so many countless examples as we reflect on our own heart and who we are as people and how the temptation can arise how we want to glorify ourselves and not God. So again, God tears down all human boasting. God's action of exalting the foolish and lowering the proud is not so that everyone here can sing their own praises, but we sing God's praises in his presence, and we recognize that we don't even deserve to be in the presence of God. Because we once, no matter what, if you grew up in a Christian home or you didn't, by your natural heart, you did not want to accept God. It all came the work of the Holy Spirit to recognize that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the only way that you can have access to the Father. And Jesus is the only way that you can even call yourself good. Verse 30, But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Again, just to reiterate the point that your conversion or saving union with Christ is not due to yourself. It's not because you were wise. You may think you're wise because of your degree or because of who you are compared to around other people, but that's not why he chose you. He simply chose you because he chose you. There's nothing you could bring to the table. He loves you. And when you accept Christ as your Savior and you recognize that this is the confidence that I have now in the power of salvation— that Christ is the one who gives you wisdom because he's the author of wisdom. He is literally the one who created, this is what's wise, this is what's truth. The world didn't define truth. Christ defines truth because he's the author of truth. He is the word who dwells in the fullness of the Godhead. Charles Hodge says it this way, that all true religious knowledge is derived from Christ, and it is the only those who submit to his teaching are wise unto salvation. You can say you're a Christian, but if you don't submit to his teachings, you're not being wise, and you should be called to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because by definition, if you say the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God, you're not going to trust in yourself. You're going to start boasting the Lord, have confidence, and recognize that I will always glory God, even around the world, that says that you're a fool for believing it. God gives you righteousness and sanctification. 
When you stand before God, you stand in Christ's righteousness, not your own. You're redeemed from your sin. He delivered you from evil. Christ is the saving work that brings sinners out of their bondage to sin. So those who have Christ have divine wisdom. What is divine wisdom? It's the saving knowledge of God. You guys know the truth. We know the truth of how someone can have eternal life and have a right relationship with the all-creator God. But how do we take that? Do we take that and boast about it, or we take it and give glory to God? It secures our justification that we have been saved through Christ. It is not of ourselves, but by our own wisdom, goodness, or strength, but by his grace alone. And again, Paul's argument here is to show the cross brings power, don't be ashamed of it, and now take it and boast in the Lord. Verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is a quote right out of Jeremiah 9, verses 23 to 24. Context of that is Israel did the same thing. They had the temptation, just like the Corinthian church, to boast in their own wisdom, boast in their own strength over and over again, and God gave judgment on Israel for doing this, and the same goes to judgment to the Corinthian church and for us today. That if we're going to boast in something, or what we would probably use today, brag in something, it should be Christ. Christ is all. That's our theme, right, of this year, and it should be the theme of our lives every day. Christ is all in us, and that we should be boasting in him. Remember, the design or purpose of God Making us all these things, he makes us wise, he makes us good with God, is for glory in himself. Our confidence is not in ourselves. So another question I have is what are you truly boasting in? Look at your heart. What are you boasting as a, as a person, as a college student? What am I boasting in as I live my life? I need to check myself daily because there's temptations in my heart to boast about the littlest things possible that God will look at me and say, why, why even try? The wisdom of God is what you should have confidence in. And I'm going to tell you, just to be honest, it's comfortable here. It's comfortable to say, you're a Christian, I have confidence in the gospel, but what's going to happen when you leave here? When you go out into the real world, where the world presses you for being a Christian and tells you to deny it, or to say you're a fool, or maybe they won't even offer you a job because you're a Christian, or they'll treat you a certain way. What's your response going to be? It's so easy to respond, oh, I have confidence now because I'm here in this school, but when you go out and work, what is your confidence going to be? Is it going to be a, no, I have confidence that the cross has power to salvation, and I know you don't believe it because the natural man doesn't accept the things of God, or are you going to turn around and say, you know what, I've been here for four years, and it's just hard being a Christian. It's so easy just to turn, so I'm just going to listen to what the world says. I'm not even going to display that I'm a Christian. I'm too ashamed of it. But God says that it is the power of God. We shouldn't be ashamed of this gospel, even if our own family is against us for it. Friends, people that you love, that's what the cross does. It divides us. But God, being rich in mercy, if it's by his will, will save you. So I want to encourage you that with this as you look to your own life. Because like that was said on Friday, literally the worst thing that we could do here is try to follow Christ when in the end we don't even know Christ truly. That is miserable. And that got me thinking, wow, that is such a miserable life to be here. Try to follow Christ, and you don't even know Christ. And it's easy to hide in this circle, but when you go out, it's going to be easy to attempt to go out, and your action will show, oh, no, in the end, I'm actually going to be boasting about myself. Yeah, Christianity is foolish. So check your heart. Examine yourself. 
and have confidence knowing that, look, look to the word of the cross. It has power. It has power of salvation. It's by grace alone through faith that you are saved. It's not of your works. And give God all the glory with that. Don't be tempted to take it and now boast in yourself that I have the truth. That's my encouragement to you this morning and to myself, that as we as believers, as we look to Christ, as we look to the power of God, that we would have confidence. And I know some of you don't have that confidence, but I want you to check and understand that the wisdom of God, God is greater than the world. God is stronger than the world, and that we could have confidence in who he is, his gospel, and let us not be ashamed when we go out into the real world, face temptation, and be lights of this world. Let's pray together. God, you are so good to us. Lord, we don't deserve your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification. God, I pray does for us. We would truly recognize that you are the one true living God, and we are not. We're not. We're just lumps of clay. You are the potter that molds us. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you, that are struggling to show that they are Christians and may not. I pray that they would truly have a love for you, that they would truly repent and not be ashamed of what the world says is true, what the world says is right, but all of us together would have conviction in our hearts to honor you, praise you, Lord, that if we do all the right things, but in the end we don't boast in you, then we have failed. We are nothing. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his salvation. Let us have confidence as we live our lives daily. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.